0: As we come to the scripture, let me ask you, uh, please, now to, to pray with me. Our Father in heaven, uh, we pray uh, that you would, in fact, now help us open our eyes to see, our minds to understand, and uh, give us hearts, God, this very center of, of our lives. Give us hearts, really, to receive and to believe. And this, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, please, to 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5, please. I want to read just a couple of verses and really only take up one this morning. Verses 12 through 15, I'll read. 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5, please. Verse 12, hear the word of God. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. I want, if God will help me, just to take up this verse fifteen, this one sentence. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another. And to everyone I had intended to take this up last Sunday in the verses that I had uh, was working on with us last week. But I ran out of time. And uh, can, can you imagine? And so uh, verse 16 really takes a little bit different twist on this living life together as church family. And in the midst of this church family being kept, as we've said, and being sanctified, that is being able to enable to persevere in the faith and in that process grow in godliness and holiness, Christ likeness really. And uh, so I was thinking, well, it's just one verse; I'll skip it, because if I don't, it really messes up my sequence in getting us to Advent. Uh, but I thought, well, I don't really like to do that. By Tuesday, I was going to skip it. By by Thursday, I just couldn't, because I still don't like to skip things unless I need to. But I hadn't, as I said, intended on taking this up as a whole sermon, but it can fill it. And uh, so I have no particular agenda, as you'll see this. It's just sort of how things have come about. So this particular passage then, this particular verse, see to it that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek uh, to do good to one another uh, and, and to everyone. Now this particular verse, of course, we just see it, we realize it, it renounces or rules out in our lives the taking of revenge, repaying evil for evil, responding to evil in kind, if you will, but rather the admonition is that we're to do good, we're to do good to one another and really to everyone, meaning even to those who do us evil. So that's the sense of it there. That's the sense. It it goes along really with all of these others in this particular area. You remember, Paul's laying out how it is that we're to be kept and sanctified and able to persevere and to grow into Christ-likeness in the context of being brothers and sisters, in the context of church, in the context of family. And he says, all right, here's how it's structured. There are those who are over you in the Lord... And you're to recognize their work among you, that work of teaching and praying and and discipling and disciplining and modeling and managing those who are overseers, elders, particularly, I would think Paul has in mind here, since that was his understanding of how churches were governed. He appointed elders in the churches that he had planted. So, so he gets that sense. He's saying, There are elders among you, recognize them, respect them, esteem them, and love. They're there for your blessing, for your good. That's the way God has established this church family, just as a, a family of mom and dad and the kids, if you will, that that family has a structure, the church has a structure, and these are the ones who oversee you. So so you need to recognize that and esteem them and love, submit to them really so that their work is a joy, as we learn from the author of Hebrews talking about these leaders. So, so that was the first thing. And then, then secondly, he said, now you need to live at peace with each other. And, and so live at peace, elders and people, if you will, but, but at peace among yourselves too, and that's going to require patience. It's going to require patience to live at peace because you're going to annoy each other, in the midst of that, and you're even going to hurt each other in the midst of that. When I when I do a wedding, I I always kind of squeeze in this notion of 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 telling them that they will husband and wife, they will hurt each other. You see, now they're not thinking that when they're getting married right then, you see, uh, but 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 they will, and and sometimes, hopefully, most of the time, that'll be unintentional. But quite frankly, we know our sin. And we know that we hurt each other, even in the midst of marriage. At times, in, knowing we're doing it, we're intentional. But we know this is going to hurt, but we do it anyway, we say it anyway. And so that's going to. It happens in church family too. So it says, you need to be patient with each other. There are some among you who are idle, that is unruly, undisciplined, that are that, that are sitting in particular ways, disobeying in particular ways. You need to be patient, and, and you, you need to admonish them, but be patient with them, and be patient with those who are faint-hearted. Be patient with those who are weak. So for the faint-hearted, encourage them. And, and for the weak, you need to, 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 to help them. But that, that patience, you see. And what that requires, this kind of patience, is a certain dying to ourselves. To submit to leaders is a certain dying to yourself, to your own understanding of being self-sufficient and, and able. You don't really need these people to help you, but God says, yes, you do. Yes, you do. So, so die to your own pride and submit, you see. And and, and and then, in patience always requires a dying to ourselves to say no to our own convenience and our own control over the situation because now somebody else this unruly one this faint-hearted one this weak one they're sort of controlling our time because we're going to them we're assisting them we're helping them we're turning aside perhaps from our own lives our own needs if you will and helping them and so all of this requires a certain dying to self but it seems to me that we get to this point paul's kind of upping the ante a bit and he says now don't repay evil for evil don't seek revenge when you're really hurt don't respond in kind, but rather respond in a way that seeks the good of even the one who perpetrates this evil against you. And that requires, it seems to me, this same kind of dying to our own self, our own sense of justice, our own sense of what we deserve, our own sense of what they even deserve. We 're not to seek revenge, you know this, this idea of revenge is, is just ingrained in us, really. We, we may want to fight it, but it 's just really true. In fact, I ran across this a number of years ago. It was in the mid '90s, but it was a course that was being taught in night school in New York City called "Revenge 101." And here was the description the newspaper gave to it. It says, "Revenge 101: Need more ideas for getting back at a noisy neighbor, a nasty coworker, a no good girlfriend. I suppose boyfriend, too. Try taking a night school course on getting even, offered in New York, where turning the other cheek is unsatisfying and forgiving and forgetting is no fun. His philosophy, that is the teacher, Pete Philip Selden, a seemingly mild mannered food and wine expert by trade, and the reason he offers the class, is that revenge is a healthy cure for anger. A great way to get it out of your system is to plan to get even, he said. You can go to sleep with a smile on your face because that person is going to wish they never met you. So the course description, sweet, blissful, deeply satisfying revenge. Of all the devices of spiteful human behavior, it must um, it, it, it must be the most fulfilling. To forgive, forget, and turn the other cheek may be very noble, but not half as rewarding. Now the art of precision retaliation has reached new heights with this man's crusade against simple forgiveness being translated into master class form. Ever since mild-mannered New Yorker Philip Seldon offered at the hands, suffered at the hands of bullying classmates, he's learned to exercise his rage with, staggering, with a staggering array of retribution. Now he's running classes that offer innumerable tactics to exact revenge, He even offers a one-on-one $75 service for individual advice. Selvin wants the world to know why revenge is healthy and how you too can be cruelly vindictive. And we kind of go, oh, that's terrible. Really? The people in Thessalonica would have been highly tempted towards revenge. That ethic was ingrained in them in their culture to seek revenge was noble. How could you let someone disgrace you and not reply back? And in fact, this particular church was being oppressed, as we know. But Paul mentions it over and over again. We, we looked at Acts 17 when we first started out our consideration of this letter. And, and there's, in Acts 17, that we have the report of Paul planting this church, establishing this church. and and, and and what happened when when he came and was accused of preaching another king other than caesar and how the authorities in the city came against not only paul but those who had helped him and and arrest this one arrested this one particular man and paul had to flee and, and all of that And paul makes mention of that even as he he writes to them in verse six of chapter one he says and you became imitators of us and of the lord for you received the word in much affliction now so we hear that, and it just sort of washes right over. We don't even think about what was taking place. But we need to realize that when they became Christians, when they became followers of Christ, they became enemies, if you will, of the state, it seemed. And, and, and all the forces uh, were against them. They could have well been beaten. They could have been imprisoned. They could have lost their jobs. They could have lost their social standing. And when you think about the trauma of that, think about losing your job. Think about being beaten. Thinking, Think about watching your children in the midst of all of that. How difficult that is not to have go through your mind, I wish I could beat you. I wish I could throw you in prison. I, I wish I could cause you to lose your job and have you be ridiculed in the community. See, that's this sense of retaliation against which Paul is speaking there. He writes to them this in chapter 2 in verse 14 he says for you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea for you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. And he says these are your own people these are your own friends these are your neighbors these are the people you work with and they have all turned against you your whole life really is now upside down because of what you believe because of this, this Jesus. And so, so all of this cruelty is taking place in their lives. In fact, in Second Thessalonians, when he writes a second letter. He continues this same theme. He says, therefore, verse 4, we ourselves boast about you and the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you're enduring. So it was continuing. So we're talking about years of this. Paul wasn't saying, well, you know, just deal with this for a little while to get away. This was a life for them. As far as they knew, this would continue on. This would be the life that they would know, being persecuted, being marginalized, being ridiculed, and all of that in their families as well. So, so this is, this is the place where Paul's writing. Plus, there was evil going on in the life of the church. I mean, it happens. There were those who weren't working, that were idle, that were unruly, that were undisciplined. There were, Paul calls, busybodies at the end of the letter. And, and, and they're, they're, they're making life difficult for everyone. There were those who were sexually immoral, and that was having ramifications through the whole church. And so he says, now, here's, here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you not to repay evil for evil, no revenge. And I, I want you to do good to everyone, even those ones who are hurting you from the outside, and even those who are hurting you uh, on the inside. And, and I don't, I don't know how it is that we can really personalize this, but there are various ways in which we've been hurt. Unlikely, generally, for our faith, particularly in the same way. We know around the edges. We know some, some ridicule and some ost- being ostracized in various ways, and so forth and so on. Being I mean, looked down. We, we feel it in our culture as the culture continues to sort of go against us so so we know that but still most of us are working and if we're not working it's not because of our faith and so forth and so on but we've experienced various injustices many of us have had things stolen from us and you wonder when something's stolen from you what's your first inclination string them up they took my right some have known more serious offenses, various kinds of abuses that you know and have experienced. What's your thoughts concerning your abuser? Some of you have been slandered. People have spoken that which is untrue and hurtful, damaging to your life and reputation. What's your attitude, what's my attitude in such situations like that? See, see, that's really what he's saying to us. See, we've all experienced in various ways, and if we haven't, we will, we've all experienced in various ways evil against us. And now, in the midst of that real evil, that real hurt. That real damage. He's saying now, here's what, I, here's what I want you to do. Here's how you live in peace. You don't extract revenge. But you spend your energies seeking to do good. Now when he says seeking to do good, he means to, to, this is your intention. You are thinking about this. In some sense, you're setting aside the hurt and you're, you're concentrating. I'm concentrating my attention on how can I do good to them? My energy is not on how can I make them pay? Now, let's be honest. We spend a lot of energy there. How can we make them pay? That's just true. So own that. I own it. You own it. Let's own it together. It hurts us. Depending on the degree of it, we can Spend a lot of energy. How can I make them pay? We pay all kinds of things in our minds. He says, No, 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 don't spend your energies there. Spend your energy seeking to do good to everyone. Oh, yeah. And, and, and to them, too. The ones who've done this kind of evil. This isn't unique. That is, this isn't just a word to the church in Thessalonica because of their particular situation. Uh, this is the general word that Paul gives to everyone in whatever situation they may find themselves. For instance, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 14, Paul says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Now, to bless someone isn't, as my grandmother used to euphemize, to bless them out. You can only imagine what she meant by that. It wasn't what Paul meant by bless them. Paul meant bless them. He meant speak well of them. Speak well of your persecutors and do to them that which would be a blessing to them. Bless them. Don't curse them. Verse 17, similar. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable. In the sight of all. In other words, think about, don't repay, don't think about how I can make them pay, think about how I can do them good. Then, verse 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, when you hear that and you say, oh, good, my good to them will heap burning coals on their heads. You're sort of missing the point. All right. Uh, It's difficult to know, quite frankly, what Paul meant by heaping burning coals on their head. It could mean judgment, but that's God's prerogative. He says, leave that to God. Or it could mean, as it was known culturally in some situations, that this was a sign of repentance. That perhaps your good that you do will bring them to repentance. The implication being that repaying them evil for evil won't. And thus the memory of, from chapter 2 in Romans, that it's the kindness of God that led us to repentance. Thus, in like form, it would be our kindness that would lead them to repentance. But however we understand that, verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't let evil... Evil wins when we become evil. Don't be overcome by it. Overcome it, as God did with good. First Peter, and chapter 3, Peter says the same thing. Verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you are called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. And let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And so he's saying, you know, be careful when people do evil against you. Our first response is to speak out and say that which is evil against them. So be careful about that. Turn away from that. Do good. Seek peace. Pursue it. And then he says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. In other words, for those who are seeking good and not revenge, God will hear your prayers. If you're seeking revenge and not good, God will not hear your prayers. Probably, though, we would say, your mind is tracking that. We learned all of this from Jesus. I read earlier from Matthew in chapter 5 from the Sermon on the Mount. There's a similar passage in Luke chapter 6 of Jesus. Jesus begins by saying, You've heard that it was said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, Do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, Turn to him the other. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, Let him have your cloak also. If anyone forces you to go one mile with you, Go two. Give to the one who begs from you. and Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You've heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Now, now Jesus begins with this expression, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And he says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. Now, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was part of the Mosaic law. Jesus wasn't saying that that isn't true in any situation. He said, you've heard it said this. But you're misapplying it. See, when 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 the, the law, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, justice, was laid out, it was not only to provide justice, but also to restrict excess. See, we have a tendency that if someone hurts us this much, we will pay them back this much. There's a great passage, Genesis chapter 4, about a man named Lamech. And it says... That I killed a man for wounding me. Oh. See, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth wouldn't let him get away with that. It would say, no, 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 no. If he wounded you, then whatever that inflicted that pain upon you, we can inflict upon him in some way. Because an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was never taken literally. In other words, if someone plucked out your eye... You wouldn't pluck out theirs, but you would be compensated in some way for the value of the eye that they plucked. They would be, you know, it, wouldn't, it wasn't ruthless in that sense. There was a life for a life. But for instance, if a man stole your oxen, what would happen is that he would have to give you back your oxen and then give you another one. That he would inflict, would inflict upon him the pain that he had sought to inflict upon you. And that was justice, you see. But it was for the courts. It was for the judges, really. This wasn't an individual ethic that, that that regulated personal relationships. Could you imagine being married to someone who related to you on the basis of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? That would not make for a wonderful marriage. Oh, there is to be justice and fairness and all that Understand. But what's to govern our personal personal relationships. It's love, really, not strict justice. Because people say, "Well, does this mean that we can never seek justice in the courts?" It doesn't mean that at all. It means, of course, you can you can you can seek justice in courts. That's where it's to be sought in these kinds of matters, and in criminal matters. This doesn't say we can't go to war and defend ourselves. This doesn't say you can't defend yourself personally. This doesn't say we can't defend the weak. This doesn't say that we have to give to everyone who wants from us, who begs from us. Is that really for their good? Who want to borrow from us? If that's really for their good, there's all kinds of Proverbs which govern all of that in the context of our lives. Jesus is getting at something way deeper than just particulars. These are Illustrations, these are statements that cause us to breathe deeply and say, what's he talking about? And you see, what he's taught, what he's talking about is our hearts. You see, listen, don't resist the evil one. Now we know we're supposed to resist Satan, who's evil, we're supposed to resist temptation, which is evil, and any who are trying to tempt us. What's he mean by this? He says, well, listen, if someone's perpetrating this kind of evil upon you and they slap you on the right cheek, meaning they insult you. If you're a right-handed person and you slap someone on the right cheek, it's a backhanded slap. And everyone in Jesus' culture would know what he meant. It was an insult. And so now the question is, how do you respond to an insult? Well, most of us want to respond to an insult by insulting back. You know, one insult is given, well, but you, blah, blah, blah You're right, we give one another one back. He says, no, no, don't do that. Turn the other cheek. Now, by that, he doesn't mean necessarily let them keep, just beg them to insult you more. It's not his point. His point is, how are you going to respond? You're going to respond In the same way, by insult, or are you not going to retaliate? He says, don't retaliate. Rather, pursue peace, pursue that which is good for them. And he goes on to say, he says, if somebody sues you and they take your tunic, which they could take, what are you going to do are you going to desire their demise and hate them? She says, ah, oh, if you do that, you've lost. Give them your cloak. I know they're not supposed to take your cloak. That's yours, and that's guaranteed to be yours, to keep you warm. But you give Where's your heart, really, in all of this? She says, if somebody forces you to go one mile, which the Romans could. They can cons- conscript, conscript someone to, 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 to carry a load for a mile. Then what? You're going to hate them and despise them and say, I wish I could get you to do something that, that, that you don't want to do. Or would you be willing to say, oh, I'll go another one? Because I'm free of that kind of hatred. I'm free of that kind of revenge. And when Jesus says, go another one, maybe you could go two other ones or three other ones. That's not his point. Isn't this legalistic? One more mile. It's where's your heart in the midst of this? somebody comes to, to, to beg from you. Which, which are our initial response? Oh, you can't have this. Somebody comes to borrow from us. What's our initial response? No, this is mine. Jesus says, What's going on in your heart? That's what's crucial here. That's what's crucial here, really. Martin Lloyd Jones uh, preached for a couple of years through the Sermon on the Mount. Um, his sermons are recorded in a book. Uh, the newer ones are two volumes. I have the old one. But. Uh, I wrote in this book years ago when I first read it 30 years ago. I wrote, of all the books which I've read and reread, none have improved my spiritual condition as much as this one. And it's true. Uh, This, uh, If anyone wants to understand my life, read this book. (laughs) But he speaks to this in a way that me is, I could never say this because I'm still saying it to myself so how can I say it to you so listen he says what then is taught here surely there is but one principle in this teaching and that is a man's attitude towards himself we could discuss the Christian in terms of the state and war and all these things but that is something very much easier than that which the Lord Jesus Christ asked us to face here. What he asked you to face is yourself. His clear teaching at this point is this. He's concerned at the whole t- the whole time about this question of the self and our attitude towards ourself. He is saying, in effect. That if we're to be truly Christian, we must become dead to self. It's not a question of whether we should go into the army or anything else. It's a question of what I think of myself and my attitude toward myself. It's a very spiritual teaching. And it works out in the following respects. First, I must be right in my attitude towards myself and the spirit of self-defense that immediately rises when any any wrong is done to me. I must also deal with the desire for revenge and the spirit of retaliation that is so characteristic of the natural self. Then there is the attitude of self towards injustices that are done to it and towards the demands that are made upon it by the community of the state. And finally, there is the attitude of self to personal possessions. Our Lord here is unveiling and exposing this horrible thing that controls the natural man, self. That terrible legacy that has come down from the fall which makes man glorify himself and set himself up as a god. He protects this self all along and in every way. But he does it not only when he's attacked or when something is taken from him. He does it also in the manner of his possessions. If another wants to borrow from him, His instinctive response is, why should I part with my goods and impoverish myself, itself, the whole time? That's the point of it. How do I respond when I'm hurt? To protect myself, defend myself, or to do good? It says the tragedy of the Pharisees and the scribes was that they interpreted an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth in a purely legal manner or something physical and material. Men still do that. They reduce this amazing teaching to just the question of capital punishment or whether we should take part in a war. No, says Christ in effect. It's a matter of the spirit. It's a matter of your whole attitude, especially your attitude toward yourself. And I would have you see... That if you are to be truly my disciples, you must become dead to yourself. He is saying, if you like, if any man would be my disciple, let him deny himself and all his rights to himself and all the rights of self. And take up the cross. And follow me. That's it, isn't it? That's really the heart of it. Whether you give to a beggar, whether you don't, the question is, why? What's your response? Would you really love to? What's good to do? Can we be free enough from our own self-defense, our own hurts, to turn from ourselves and actually consider what is good even for my enemy? This good, Jesus says, uh, you know, God makes the sun and, 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 um, and rain uh, to, to shine and fall on the just and the unjust. He said, look at look what God does, you see. Even towards his own enemies, those who hate him, still he gives them the sunshine and still he gives them rain. I remember when I was a kid and I read this, I thought that means good and bad things happen to everyone because I thought sun was good and rain was bad. And then I met a farmer and he said, no, 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 rain is good too. Says God is good. You see, even to his enemies, like that. He says so, we are to be like him. We're to do good to our enemies. We're to bless them, not curse them. We're to greet them. And you think that's what's the big deal about that? It is a big deal. To greet the one who's just put your husband in prison for his faith to greet the one who's just treated you unjustly that's a big deal to get over yourself to really greet them a Jew in Nazi Germany greeting an SS officer a black man in Birmingham, Alabama 1963 greeting Bull Connor Can we get over ourselves? Can I get over myself sufficiently? Die to myself sufficiently to do good, to greet the one who's done this this evil. So how do we do that? Well, Well, first this, I think. First, we think it through, and as we think it through, what we realize is that, that this is the way God is. And, and he says, but I say, do you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven? Now, now Jesus isn't saying, if you live like this, then you'll be a son of the Father who's in heaven that will make you to be one of his. He says, no, 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 no. Because you belong to him, because he is your Father, then by living like this, Blessing, not cursing, not repaying evil for you. By living like this, then you're showing yourself to be a child of God because this is the way God has treated you. This is how God is. So be like Him and to think like that and to say, oh yes, that's how I'm to be. This is really the model of our Lord Jesus. Peter puts it like this in First Peter, in chapter two. He says, verse eighteen: Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. That is, he's talking to servants, to slaves. Really, he says, evil will be perpetrated against you by unjust masters. How are you to respond to them? He says, for this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly for what credit is it if when you sin you're beaten for it you endure but if when you do good and suffer for it you endure this this is a gracious thing in the sight of God for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps he committed no sin neither was deceit found in his mouth when he was reviled he didn't revile in return When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. That was it, isn't it? That he says, I know my father. He's sovereign. He's led me here. There is no way out. I can't escape. This is happening. What shall I do? Now, he says this. I won't repay evil for evil. I won't revile in return. And you see, with that kind of heart, then you're free to do good. If you must sue someone, it's with this heart, not a vindictive one, not a revengeful heart, not a repay evil for evil heart. It's to say, this is good. I'm protecting the innocent. I'm protecting the weak. I'm helping others, you see, in the midst of that. This isn't revenge. If, 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 if a beggar comes to borrow, comes to, and begs from me, I can be, if I'm free, not thinking, well, I'm not going to give him money because it's my money, but if I'm actually free to think, what's really good here? What's the blessing to this person? Then I'm free to give or not to give, depending on what's good. If someone comes to borrow, if I'm free and I'm not being defensive and possessive of my possessions, then I can say, What's really good in this circumstance? But you see, if I have the revengeful mindset, if I have the mindset that says, I'm going to repay evil for evil because that makes me feel good and that's just and that's what I'm going to do in these personal relationships, then you see, I'm not free at all to do that which is good. To do that which is good. But Jesus, you see, was free because he trusted his father. This passage I read And the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 50 lays this out even prophetically. He says, the Lord has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I I, I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. All of that Jesus experienced without reviling back. You see, at that point, most of us would say, I'm not dying for your sins. This is over. I'm, I'm out of here. Ha, gotcha. You're going to hell. But he didn't do that. He didn't repay evil for evil. He repaid evil with good. How could he do that? But the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I've not been disgraced. Therefore, I've set my face like flint And I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who's my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust In the name of the Lord and rely upon his God. There are times when evil is so great against us that we feel like we're in darkness and we have no light. And the word to us is trust. God will vindicate. He really will. let me let Lloyd-Jones have the last word. First of all, let us approach this matter on a pure practical level. The first thing we must do is face this whole problem of the self in an honest manner. We must cease to make excuses, cease to try to evade this and circumvent it. It is to be faced honestly and squarely. We must hold all this teaching before us and examine ourselves in light of it. But it's not enough that we should do that in a general way only. We must do it in particular, in the particular situations. Whenever I notice myself, I'm sorry, whenever I notice in myself a reaction of self-defense or a sense of annoyance or a grievance or a feeling that I have been hurt and wronged and I'm suffering an injustice, the moment I feel that defensive mechanism coming into play, I must quietly face myself and ask the following questions. Why exactly does this thing upset me? Why am I grieved by it? What is my real concern at this point? Am I really concerned for some general principle of justice and righteousness? Am I really moved and disturbed because I have some true cause at heart? Let me face it honestly. Is it just myself? Is it just this horrible, foul, self-centeredness and self-concern, this morbid condition to which I have got? It is nothing but an unhealthy and unpleasant pride Such self-examination is essential if we're to conquer this matter. We all know this by experience, how easy it is to explain it in some way or another. We must listen to the voice that speaks within us. And if it says, now you know perfectly well it is just yourself, that horrible pride, that concern about yourself and your reputation and your own greatness, if it's that, we must admit and confess it. It will be extremely painful, of course. Let me repeat that. It will be extremely painful, of course. And yet, if we want to rise to our Lord's teaching, we have to pass through such a process. It is the denial of self. Let me correct something. Let me let Jesus have the last word. The last word is this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, when we realize... That it's grace, not us. And then it releases self. Because self contributed nothing to me getting into the kingdom of heaven at all. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, you see. It's the very comfort, you see, that comes when we know our sin. And when we mourn over it. It's real to us. We get it. We understand that we've been forgiven. And thus those who perpetrate evil are sinners as well. Blessed are the meek. That is who really know themselves. They know who they are before God, sinners saved only by his grace. They know who they are in front of other people, still sinners saved only by grace, no better than even the one who perpetrates the evil, you see. And that frees us then with a sense of compassion to say, I'll do good, bless not curse. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They, they will be filled. till we realize the problem is this lack of righteousness. And what I really want is righteousness. And I want to be then like Christ. All right, he's the one who does good, who blesses and doesn't curse. All right, I get it. I, I see that frees me, that enables me to do that. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. I realize that I've been the recipient of mercy. Therefore, I should be the one who gives mercy, you see. And even to the one who is evil. That's when mercy is given, you see to the one who doesn't deserve that, I'll be merciful as I've received mercy. It was the kindness of God that led me to repentance. So I'll be merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. If I desire really to know God, to really see him, then repaying evil for evil isn't the way to go there. It's by doing good as he does good. Blessed are the peacemakers. He made peace. God makes peace. I'm to make peace and the way I make peace is not by repaying evil for evil, but by doing good, the best in this situation. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. For great is the reward in heaven. Oh, yes. I can trust him. If vengeance must be, he will avenge. It frees me to do that which is good. Let's pray. Father, pray for me. Pray for all of us that we can live like this. Thus, grant your grace and spirit that we may. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.